0: Midwife calling. Hello, and welcome to Popular Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we're taking each episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat.
1: I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the fourth episode of the third season of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Gabby Asher and Heidi Thomas and directed by Juliet May. Juliet May directed the last episode uh, and she directs... She w- We will see her again. Heidi Thomas, of course, is created the show... We last saw her credited as an episode writer in the first episode of this season, but I suspect that she has a hand in every episode, even when her name isn't in the credits as a writer of the episode. And this is Gabby Asher's only credited episode as a writer of Call the
0: Midwife. I can't remember if we mentioned before that uh, Heidi Thomas is married to Stephen McGann, a.k.a. Dr. Turner.
1: I think we have mentioned that We have mentioned that?
0: Okay. It was just brought to my mind this week because every once in a while on their... The official Call the Midwife Facebook page, there will be things about... There will be little interviews and things. And they're, of course, in the same house. So they're easily interviewed about Call the Midwife together. It's kind (laughs) of (laughs) cute. All right. So let's get into our recap. Mature Jenny narrates about doors being open when you're young and love coming easy and loving freedom. Sheila is sad about her fertility and wraps up her baby's dress. Sister Winifred struggles with the birthing part of midwifery as Cynthia delivers a baby to Kitty Chubb. She confesses to Cynthia that she finds the medical aspects difficult. Leia Moss comes to the clinic and is frustrated at waiting and has swollen ankles. She doesn't wait when Jenny comes back with her test results, returning home to her housebound mother. Alec invites Jenny to Brighton for the weekend.
1: So the the, uh, voiceover in the introduction is all about uh, being young and freedom, and I thought it would last forever, Mm -hmm. and I mean... That I thought it would last forever if you're paying even a little bit of attention. is like, oh, this is the episode where it's not going to last forever.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, so, I mean, we've seen to the end of the episode, we can just say, like, when Jenny's narrating uh, young love, all doors are open, I thought it would last forever. This is uh, directly an allusion to Alec dies in this episode. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that voiceover announces a the theme that connects to the other stories, too?
0: I think so because we have Leah Moss and her mother are also coming from loss and death mm-hmm. and so they also have know, know that things are not la- don't last forever and they don't take that for granted at all. Mhm. Um I'm not sure about other aspects of that conversation uh, about of the plot maybe as we go through it I'll see more.
1: I mean, it really is an episode about loss in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because of Alec. But we start off with loss with Sheila and Patrick, with mm-hmm. the, the Turners. She's putting the nightdress away. She says, when she was stitching it, you know, I put a little love in each cross stitch uh, a couple of episodes ago. And then now mm-hmm. she says, uh, every stitch I made, I thought I could see that my baby's face more. Now the nightdress will never be needed and the face won't go away.
0: Mm-hmm. It's uh, heartbreaking.
1: And like, on a show all about birth, I think it's really important that they have a cast member. Uh, not just a one-off story, but a, a character that we care about and return to. Mm-hmm. Who has, who wants give birth but medically can't right Mm -hmm. because we see so much on this show we the, the problems we see most often are you know sometimes overcome and sometimes not babies that uh have trouble coming into the world and then sometimes do or babies that are coming into difficult situations where maybe they're the world isn't ready for them or ready to take care of them but the experience of like wanting a child and and being medically unable to give birth to one, I I just I appreciate this show for for showing that.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Patrick says this isn't the end of the world; it's just the end of a road, mm-hmm. and I like that too. I'm like that. They're not. I mean, we've already had. Uh, them fostering a baby we've already had them the idea of adoption has been uh established in this show well established in the show that adoption is a thing that the turners know about so like but i also really like actually that uh they don't jump straight to it Mm -hmm. that patrick says this isn't the end of the road but he doesn't say like this isn't the end of the road we'll just adopt he like Let's be sad about this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we'll find some other road.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're laying out all the plots here. Uh, Jenny being happy and in love that, of course, will come to an end by the end of the episode. Uh, Sheila sad about infertility that is like the whole season, really. That's a whole plot. Mm-hmm. Um. The And then Leia Moss and her story, we just get the very beginnings of it here in this beginning section where she's just a regular, you know, pregnant mom at the clinic. She's impatient because she hasn't been seen. And this is a story we've seen before is like, mm-hmm. impatient mom at the clinic leaves before her test results uh, because she's in a hurry And the difference in this story is it's not, she's not impatient for herself. She's impatient because her mother has been left alone and hasn't left the house. Yeah. Um,
1: And we don't yet know what's up with her mother, but mm -hmm. we just know that there's something up with her. There's something
0: up with her mother. Uh, Alec invites Jenny to go to Brighton.
1: All perfectly respectable.
0: Yeah. Every single time someone says the word Brighton, I hear from the 1995 Pride and Prejudice lydia bennett's voice being like i want to go to brighton she just has this very whiny specific way of saying brighton that i <laughs> hear in my head and uh
1: so but like it's brighton, the seaside brighton is the seaside where you run away to be unrespectable in pride and prejudice eh
0: uh kind of yeah it is uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> all perfectly respectable the, we see, I mean, I jumped the gun on talking about Jenny and Alec, but let's focus just for the moment on this mm-hmm. moment, which is in the last episodes, we've seen Jenny be like, do I love Alec? Do I not? Do I, I just want to like, like him, but I don't want to move too fast.
2: Mm-hmm. And we've
1: seen Alec like, I love you, Jenny, and I want to move forward.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: like going away for a weekend There's a, there's a, like, respectability aspect of it that Mm -hmm. we're going to deal with in the episode. But there's also, like, a, this is a step forward in their relationship, going away together. Yeah. Even if they are in two different hotel rooms the whole time.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: like, and she's enthusiastic about that part. Yeah, exactly.
0: And it kind of is to me... And maybe I'm wrong here, which is fair, because I didn't wasn't around in the 50s or whatever. But I feel like them going away to this hotel together, separate rooms, whatever. Um, if they get married eventually, this is just, this all is on the up and up. If they don't get married eventually, this is seedy a little bit.
1: Even in separate hotel rooms, Even because nobody's chaperoning them, we don't know they're in separate hotel exactly. rooms. Exactly. What will it look like? Exactly. Yeah.
0: But on the other hand, maybe I'm reading too many novels that take place in the 19th century, and <laughs> the 18th, 18th century. century. You know, like this isn't yeah. this is the you know this is the 20th century when this is taking place. So I might be being a little too old-fashioned by thinking that.
1: Do you want to talk about uh, Winifred
0: a little bit? mm Hmm. So isn't... this is the other main plot in this episode, is Winifred.
1: Mm-hmm. It's surprising. I mean, it's not necessarily surprising that she isn't uh, the same as all the other characters. Like, she kind of is the replacement for Sister Bernadette, uh, who was medical, who was, like, really the medical... Uh, the most experienced of the younger characters with inter- the medical aspects of midwifery. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of makes sense that Sister Winifred isn't, because they don't want to just be a clone. But that she doesn't feel joy is like, she's such a joyful character. Mm-hmm. It's it's surprising for her that her problem specifically... On the- Or maybe it isn't surprising. Maybe it totally makes sense that she's such a joyful character who is, like, always smiling and finds joy in things. We saw in the last week or the week before that she uh, always kind of skimmed Revelation. It was a bit grim. Yeah. And, like, she really seeks joy. And so maybe if she doesn't find joy in the medical aspects of birth, then she kind of, that alienates her immediately. Mm Mm-hmm maybe it's not weird that this character doesn't feel joy in birth maybe it's exactly in character that if she doesn't feel joy right away she turns her off of something
0: yeah exactly right i think that's that's really astute for for what she's like i also think it's a part of religious life that she is called to this she's called to obedience and so despite being uncomfortable she has been called to be a midwife right now. Mm-hmm. She has been sent to Nanata's house as a midwife. And even if she doesn't feel joy, she still feels the calling mm-hmm. to be a nun and the call and the calling to obedience. And so she's not going to, like, I feel like if this was one of the nuns, not, and this was one of the nurses, not nuns, they would just leave. <laughs> Whereas she doesn't, she doesn't leave. But in that, in that first step of obe- obedience, she can then find the joy later on mm-hmm. and learn that new, that new skill and that and find her abilities.
1: So there's one thing that happens in the section that you recapped that you didn't mention mm-hmm. uh, that we need to mention. Yes, because it's important. Very important. Sister Monica, Joan, and Sister Evangelina play Cluedo. <laughs> And I, like, (laughs) rolled on the floor. I, like, shout-laughed at all. Sister Monica Joan playing Cluedo. Like, uh, (laughs) she starts off talking about Miss Scarlet. A free spirit! A suffragette! (laughs) She would never stoop to murder! She's done these characters. She has these scents for the characters. And her, like... (laughs) I love. Fist, Monica, Sister Monica Joan. And I love all the things that she's saying about these characters because they're so right. And they're also so, like... the Specifically, Sister... I mean, like, I'm gonna read too much into it, but, like, you would think if you hadn't... If you weren't, you know, paying attention to actual character and whatever, you would think if you were gonna put into the mind of, uh... Senile old nun from a previous era, that like Miss Scarlet, a red woman, uh, uh, you yeah. know, lascivious. She's the one that we're suspicious of. But no, Sister Monica Joan is like Miss Scarlet is a free spirit and a suffragette. <laughs> she would never commit murder. Like I love it. And <laughs> who she? Who she? Who she, uh, suspects is Colonel Mustard, because one should never trust a yellow-bellied imperialist.
2: Exactly. Ah!
1: Ah! Both, like, that is so funny, and also, one should never trust a yellow-bellied imperialist. <laughs> I am, I'm with you, Sister Monica Joan, you know... <laughs> Everything she says here, I'm 100%
2: on board.
0: But she also just, like, plays the game entirely incorrectly. That's my favorite part. Sister Evangelina is is like, here's this game. And she's so mad because Sister Monica Joan just, like, uses her power of insight to say who did it. And then she's right. Then she's right. (laughs) She's right. She also says, with the revolver,
1: the weapon of cowards. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Which, once again, yes, revolvers are the weapons of cowards, and I love it. I love every moment of this scene, and I hurt myself laughing.
0: Basically, like, it lifts straight out of the show. Like, it has nothing to do, I feel like, with the rest of the show at all. all, but it's just like an insight into their lives and the personalities of Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina, and... I'd yeah, like... it's just, I love it. And then,
1: too, if they're going to play a board game, of course. Sister Evangelina follows the rules. The game is only fun if you are following the rules. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and it is infuriating if someone doesn't follow the rules. And even more, if they win despite not following Like, that is uh-huh. <laughs> For Sister Evangelina, it is so exactly the worst thing. Why is she playing a game with Sister Monica Joan in the first place? I don't know. That's the only part that's a little hard to believe. Yeah. That the two of them would sit down and play a game together. And also, is Clue a two-person game?
0: Yeah. You can play Clue with two Okay. Uh, it's a kind of... It's... It's it's harder to play with two people. Harder
1: to play with two people. Was Fred... Fred was there watching. Was he playing...
0: Who even knows? Maybe. Maybe
1: Fred knows? was there to be playing a game. Anyway, this was magnificent scene.
0: All right, let's move on to the, our next section. Leia's husband wants to get a new flat, but her mother hasn't left the house in 12 years, when most of her family was lost in the Holocaust. Cynthia and Sister Winifred visit her to bring a delivery pack, and Sister Winifred talks with Leia's mom and they discover she's been having dizzy spells. When they call the doctor, he finds out how long it's been since she left the house, but has positive news about her dizzy spells. Sheila talks about her marriage and infertility with Sister Julienne. She wants a project, and Sister Julienne suggests a choir. But when she and Timothy attend, there are low numbers. Jenny and Alec talk about their trip and dance in Anata's house. Jenny buys a new dress and discusses with Trixie if it's proper to go to a hotel with a man. She chats with Alec's boss later, who hints at what they might be doing. Jenny ends up telling Alec off and storms home.
1: So I knew... uh, I figured out that the moth Leah, and her family are Jewish when she walks in and and calls to her mother in Yiddish. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't... For some reason, I just, like, the timeline of it, it didn't immediately click to me as it should have. That, of course, there, and especially her mother, is a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. And that 12 years, the time of when this is set, is, like, 12 years ago was World War Two. Yeah. So, like, that, was, that should have been maybe obvious to me, but it wasn't. Mm. And when they were, like, Telling her backstory, I was just like, oh, of course she doesn't want to leave the house. Yeah. She has dizzy spells and she won't leave the house. And uh, Leah is afraid to call a doctor (laughs) because the doctor's going to think we... I don't know. Would we hint at this in this section or she actually says it in this section? She says it eventually. Maybe she says it in the next section. But... She doesn't want a doctor because she thinks a doctor will think that her mother is crazy that it's all in her head mm-hmm. and take her away.
0: Yeah. And there's also, of course, a fear of doctors mm-hmm. when it was very much doctors who were saying, you know, uh, anyway, bad doctors. a fear of authority, a fear yeah, of yeah institutional authority. Yes, exactly. That's the words I'm looking for that I can't express. That, yeah, institutional authority and someone who is going to take them away again. And it is a fear that is not unfounded. This is a fear based in fact. So how do you get past that? Yeah. I don't know if you do.
1: They talk a little bit about the Moss family. uh, Talk a little bit with Sister uh, Winifred Mm -hmm. about its uh, Shavuot which is the Feast of Weeks. Incidentally, totally just trivia, but uh, sometimes called Pentecost in English. So it's Jewish Pentecost. Uh, It is a commemoration of the coming of the Torah, and it follows Passover. So it's right after Passover, a Feast of Weeks that commemorates the time in between, that that, uh, is about the time in between the Exodus and the coming of, of the law. So it's like, I mean, this period between the Exodus and the Torah is like the uh, the Israelites have escaped danger, but they haven't become themselves yet.
2: Ooh.
1: Right? It's when they're given the law that the uh, nation kind of th- becomes what it is. Uh, and that's what the... There's something about, like, her... She's escaped the Holocaust, but she's living in this limbo period where she hasn't been given the law yet. She hasn't been given her new identity yet. She's waiting for things to really start. And they're all waiting for things to really start. And they feel at this moment like there isn't anything on the other end of it. But the holiday that they're celebrating is a clue to us that there is. There's also the story of Ruth. They read... Uh, Ruth during this holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story of Ruth is, among other things, the story of a woman, Ruth, caring for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And in this plot, we see Leah Moss caring for her mother, Tidale, Reuben. So, like, it's this... She's not her mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. But Ruth is also, like, of an appropriate... Reading for this story.
0: Mm-hmm. And like whether where, the famous line from Ruth is, you know, wh- wherever you go, I'll follow. And so in where this... Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go. And in this story of Leah and her mother, uh, Leia has been where you go, I will go. So I will stay in this house with you and I will not leave you. Mm-hmm. But it becomes... Need, they need to leave this house so that they can move to a new flat and then and the reverses so the mother is where you go I will go too that's mm-hmm. a yeah. really beautiful passage of the Bible to reflect on this story
1: yeah for sure um, in the other story in one of the other stories Timothy doesn't want to go to choir <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> Because he's 11. (laughs) And of course not. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's like, I mean, we could start earlier. Sheila is looking for something to fill her days, Mm -hmm. you know? And she she asks Sister Julianne for advice. And Sister Julianne says, you know, your your voice is beautiful. You Mm -hmm. should sing more. Which it is. (laughs) Which it is. I miss it. Mm-hmm. She used to sing Compline in the show. <laughs> now mm-hmm. she doesn't. I still miss it. In season, you know, two. It's been two years. Anyway, um, so she goes to join a choir, and the choir is basically defunct. Timothy doesn't want to go, but he gets what? he gets his luck. The choir, he, he gets yeah. his wish. The choir is folded.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: And they
0: are <laughs> going to the pub and invite invite Sheila and Timothy. And Sheila is just like, "No, I am <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> He's
1: not going to hang out in a pub. Thank you very much." And Timothy's like, "It's just down the street." Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's about seeking meaning and finding a new life. Sheila is still, and has been, and will still be like. She's left the life that she thought was going to be her life. And she left it for something that she thought she was leaving it for that now isn't going to be either. Mm -hmm. And so she's still like, I don't know who I am. And speaking of people and who they are and knowing who they are and recognizing who they are, I think think that's one of the things that connects these stories to Mm -hmm. Alec. And Jenny doesn't know who Alec is or isn't certain who Alec is. Yeah.
0: And she made an assumption that, of course they're getting two rooms, and then Trixie's like, "But are you 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 agreed to go away with him without asking and then so she goes to see the boss and not the, the boss alex's boss is, is his boss It's
1: just a coworker?
0: I thought he said my boss had tickets uh, it doesn't matter anyway, and uh. He's all like, oh, I've had many a good weekend there, blah, blah, blah. And Jenny is just that much lack of confidence in Alec that she believes him.
1: Yeah. um, That guy's a cad. He is. Cad is the word I have. Like... (laughs) Yeah. So did Alec plan one room or two? No one actually says. uh, Or Alec never actually said and Jenny never actually asked. And so what is you know, who does Alec think Jenny is? Who does Jenny think Alec is? What do they both think? What assumptions are they both making about each other and about their relationship? Mm -hmm. And, like, I think it connects to this idea of, like, what kind of life do you have and what do you expect for it? And who are you and do people know? Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. And she, in her indignant Jenny way, it's like... (laughs) Gets indignant and storms off. And that's just like, that is the character of Jenny that we've seen before. Is like, she'll, if she's indignant, she's indignant. She <laughs> and it should. takes her some time to get out of that in- indignant feeling. Which is something Alex should know about her. So I think it's, you know, if they had had the time to work it out, they would have. Yeah. But unfortunately, let's move on to our next recap, which is... Alec falls from the top of the stairs in the building they're working on and is badly injured. Peter and Dr. Turner work on him to help save his leg. Leah and her husband tell her mother they'll be moving to a new flat and she tries to be enthusiastic. Jenny is told about Alec and races to the hospital to find that his foot has been amputated. She stays by his side until she can no longer... Fred gives a crying Jenny his meal when she gets home. Leia's mother tries to go outside, but can't make it past the door. Dr. Turner and Sheila talk about Alex's injuries and Sheila starting a choir. She finds three moms in the clinic, including Kitty Chubb from the beginning, singing together and invites them to the choir. Sister Winifred tries again to help Mrs. Moss leave her house, but she can't. Jenny keeps Alec company in the hospital, making plans for their future, despite his injury.
1: Um, Let's talk about Sheila and the choir first. Okay. Just to say, it is very convenient that there are three women just singing in the maternity home, in the maternity hall today, (laughs) in the clinic hall today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of funny. But also, I mean, it, you know, speaks of the community aspect of Poplar that we always see is like... There's people around who have been friends forever, who might burst into song together. There's... And I'll, like,
1: forgive the convenience of it in a show by saying, there's probably women singing in that hall all the time, we just don't usually see it on camera. Exactly,
0: exactly. And those three women in particular could have been the whole... Every time they came in singing together. Yeah. Because they all have their newborn babies. So... Um, Kitty Chubb, I don't know if we mentioned, I did mention her briefly at the beginning. She just kind of is like our kind of standard mom we see Mm -hmm. throughout an episode where she gave birth at the very beginning. It was a totally normal birth, but Sister Winifred was a little squeamish at it. And then she's around for being in the choir and later on. And so it's just like, this is our standard poplar mom.
1: I'm glad, by the way, like this is something we've mentioned before and we'll see lots and have seen lots, but I'm glad that they keep putting in like there's a dramatic story birth, but there's very often a another birth that goes well.
0: Yeah, that like exactly.
1: maybe has a moment of drama, like Kitty was late, was a slow birth, mm-hmm. and then it came suddenly after all. And like, yeah, even even standard quote unquote births are interesting and different from each other. But I'm glad that they throw in that like there are some that aren't the story of an episode. They're yeah. just like. Births keep happening, even the low drama ones. Yeah,
0: exactly. The show is all about that.
1: Another thing, while we're talking about Sheila, there's a thing that isn't connected to the choir that's just a moment that I wonder if you have a thought about, which is, they're talking, Sheila and Patrick are talking about stuff, uh, and he, ta- he takes out a cigarette. He says, do you want one? Uh... And it's like a callback to when he first offered her a cigarette when she was being a nun. Mm -hmm. I mean, when she was a nun, then it was like shocking that she accepted a cigarette from him. Do you want one? And she says, I always want one, but you don't always ask. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? I don't know. She says it with such a smile. Mm -hmm. But it's like, in the performance, it's very affectionate. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But in the writing... It has a real potential to be very, uh, like, resentful. I don't think she plays it that way.
0: Yeah. I feel like anything about smoking, and I honestly don't remember if it's this episode or a different one where Dr. Turner's like, there isn't an ashtray in my... No, oh, it's this one. In, in my, you know, stall or whatever in that, in the clinic, that, like, smoking is a part of their lives... Mm-hmm. In the 50s is like always, always going to be weird for us in the 21st century. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I wasn't sure what to make of that moment either. Except for it was affectionate and that she feels like she doesn't actually smoke, but she'd like to smoke with her husband because mm-hmm. he does.
1: It's again, maybe about who she is Mm -hmm. and her figuring out who she is. Yeah. And that that she's there like, I always want one, but you don't always ask. And what's unspoken there is that she doesn't ask for one. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And one of the things that's happening in for Sheila in this episode is she's kind of learning. And in this first three seasons of this show, frankly, she's learning to ask for what she wants.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And I would have liked maybe to have seen her asking for a cigarette yeah <laughs> at some point maybe we will in an, a future episode but like in this episode mm-hmm. that like I always want one but you don't always ask mm-hmm. I just it has this I don't know I I found it such an intriguing moment because it has so much possibility to be like a real moment of resentment but both of them play it so affectionately
0: yeah exactly All right. Let's get to the main body of this section and this episode, which is Alec has this very dramatic fall.
1: Yeah. Oh, he broken femur and, and then like crushed. Fa- he foot.
0: falls on like a pile of bricks, and it's just it's awful. Um, it's awfully convenient that Peter is the is the uh, <laughs> nearby policeman, and it yes. just so happens that Doctor Turner is down the street. I mean. It's yes. television magic that that's, of course, <laughs> the way it is, but it is really lovely to watch these men in their uh, professional capacity mm-hmm. helping out, and both of them having this moment of recognition of, like, this isn't just a random guy, this is Alec, who we know. I and mean, Peter and Alec were just, like, bonding together last episode, going out to the theater and going to the pub together, so, like, Peter really knows this guy. Yeah. But is able to, in his capacity as policeman, take control, take charge. Because Alex's boss is... I don't remember his name. He has a name. Uh, Is panicked and not able to take control of the situation at all.
1: Yeah, I like... I enjoy, I have to say, seeing Peter being good at his job. Because he seems a little bumbling sometimes Mm -hmm. in like... A very jovial way, but like, I like seeing him competent.
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
1: And Doctor Turner, like making a a tying off the wound with all of their ties, Mm -hmm. and like, this is both showing Doctor Turner's competence, but also giving us a clue of like, this is very, very serious. Not a clue, maybe dramatizing Mm -hmm. how this is very, very serious. And it turns out the. Dr. Turner's quick action saves his leg, but he loses his foot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's like, yeah, it's all very sudden and dramatic.
0: Mm-hmm. And, of course, takes the wind of the sails of, like, poor Jenny. We see her, like, at the same time that we as the audience know that he's had this accident. We see Jenny, like ranting about him and still upset about the
1: angrily unpacking angrily
0: unpacking and yeah and still upset about the brighton situation and uh how how true that is to life that you can you don't know what's happening in uh, somewhere else and how especially nowadays we have such instant communication yeah that that you that you would know a lot quicker whereas she has like it's probably an hour or two even before she finds out that he's in the hospital and then she has to go there and then she has to find out what happened
1: to him we watched a movie last night where a child is in danger and the mother's off at a party and she just like has a feeling and rushes home Mm -hmm. and like that was a silly movie and it was supposed to be but like these moments, I prefer these moments where, like, of course she doesn't have a feeling.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, she doesn't know what is going on. Mm-hmm. And there is irony for the audience, but for her, she's angrily unpacking and she's still angry, right?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The other thing in this section is the uh, Moss Rubin family. Mm-hmm. Even, I, like... We talk about, uh, how she, uh, I wrote it down, I heard them pronounce it, and I was like, said it over and over to myself, and now I, I already have forgotten how they pronounce her name.
0: I, I completely didn't even notice. I was calling her Mrs. Moss, but I realized it's that of course Ruben. She's not, she'd be Mrs. Rubin.
1: Mrs. Rubin. Uh, the Dr. Turner says like her, her dizziness could be vertigo. It could be in her ear, give her a, a operation in her ear and everything could be better. Mm-hmm. And she could be able to go outside because lots of vertigo sufferers are afraid to go outside. And what, you know, what is clear is that her problems can be with her ear and her mind. Yeah. Like, those exactly. aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. And it isn't. Yeah. And when her vertigo is cured, or, or treated, or whatever, she still can't go outside.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's this moment where Sheila is talking to Sister Winifred about the choir, and like, sometimes we need to take things into our own hands, and Sister Winifred's like, Aha! And she rushes back to try to get uh, Mrs. Reuben outside, because she's going to take things into her own hands, and it doesn't work. Yeah. I'm really glad... That it...
0: Yeah, that Sister Winifred doesn't magically cure her.
1: It takes more than just a pep talk from Sister Winifred mm-hmm. to make her go outside, right? Yep. Yeah. To overcome 12 years of fear.
0: Yeah. And she's trying. Yeah. And that's the part of it is She's not, uh, you know, just refusing to go outside. She does want to. She just can't.
1: And we see... Uh, Leia losing patience with her Mm -hmm. in this section, which is hard because we see her, like what what we the audience see is more of her trying than we have seen and more of her daughter being impatient with her than we have seen. So as she's trying harder, her daughter's getting more impatient with her.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And like, I really think that that is (sighs) powerful. Mm Mm-hmm because it feels true it feels like as she gets closer instead of that being encouraging it's frustrating for yeah. leia yeah but like you're so close just do it yeah. you know
0: oh, man yeah that's but relatable. like
1: <laughs> when i'm trying the hardest is when you're getting madder at me
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I love, I just want to call out this one moment where Jenny comes home, she has to come back from the hospital because visiting hours are over, and she runs into Fred in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. And he's just made this, you know, lovely English breakfast, bacon and and eggs and sausage and whatnot, and Jenny, and he's like, have you eaten, have you done anything, and He's like, you know, here, take my meal. And she, she refuses. She's like, you know, you made it for yourself. And Fred's like, take it. And she does eat with such enthusiasm, which is beautiful. But Fred, we get these glimpses. We got it last episode. We get it this episode that, like, he lost his wife in the Blitz. Yeah. Fred's got dimensions to him and knows what grief is like. And so she he does. sees Jenny in pain and in grief and he knows what to do practically. Mm-hmm he's like a little like sister Evangelina in that way is he, you know, he's got practical solutions for, for her. I
1: love this moment. Yeah. It's such a moment of care and tenderness. And I love, and then he like stands there watching her eat. And there's a little bit of a, like, I wanted my breakfast. Though. Yeah. That is also true. Is like,
0: it did look like a very
1: delicious meal. That he was just sitting down to, but it's like, I mean, it shows what uh it's it's a very visceral demonstration of like caring for someone mm-hmm. by giving them the food out of your mouth, right
0: yeah, exactly because they need it more than you, and you can make more for yourself, yeah you know? exactly like I don't think Fred's gonna go hungry. <laughs> no i don't think so i think he's but he, he knows that in that moment jenny needs that more than he does i just yeah it's a beautiful moment it i is. didn't want to skip over in my discussion
2: mm-hmm.
0: so should we continue okay leah moss goes into labor and jenny and sister winifred go to help sister winifred is timid as usual but when jenny is called away to Alec's side she takes over and delivers leah's baby a girl Meanwhile, Jenny makes it to the hospital in time to find that Alec has died. She goes to his flat and finds that he had two rooms booked in the hotel after all. (laughs) Everyone tries to comfort her, but she is inconsolable, and Sister Julianne extends the invitation to stay at the mother house. Sheila arranges for a choir to sing at the funeral, while Dr. Turner blames himself. Sister Winifred visits Leah and her mother, and Mrs. Rubin, seeing the baby outside without a proper blanket, leaves (laughs) the flat for the first time to be with her granddaughter on the street. Later, she runs into Jenny and Cynthia in the street and comforts Jenny in her loss. Tom Hereford preaches and Sheila's choir sings at Alec's funeral. Jenny leaves for the mother house with emotional goodbyes from all the nuns and nurses. Meanwhile, Sister Winifred races off to a birth, having finally found her competence. Mature Jenny narrates about her heart now being closed, but that she had to keep on living to feel alive again. (sighs) So I'm like getting upset just talking about it. Alex's death is very sudden and very painful.
1: Talk about that first?
0: Let's talk about that first and talk about Leia afterwards. This uh
1: I knew this yeah. was coming, mm-hmm. but I had forgotten it was so sudden.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh it's really sudden and she's not even there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: like it's it's brutal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's
1: really, really sudden and surprising, even when you know which we, you know, aren't spoilery on this show but this isn't our first time watching it so i Ooh. knew alec was going to die eventually yeah but it still took me off guard i didn't remember that it was so sudden Hmm. and we Cause, have because
0: they've been like joking and planning and like he'd lost his foot and that was bad and that was what they were grieving yeah and then suddenly he's had an embolism yeah so the blood clot from his injury went to his brain and that can happen very quickly
1: yeah And, like, we hear the nuns singing Compline for the first time in so long. Mm -hmm. We used to hear it in every episode, but I don't think we've heard it since season one.
0: Yeah, I feel like we haven't either.
1: Uh, And they sing the words specifically that we hear them sing from Compline is Hide not thy face from me in my time of trouble. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's very moving.
0: Mm -hmm. it is i love uh we have the nuns and nurses sitting around their lunch table which is such a common scene that we see again and again in this show and it's just silent and jenny's spot is empty Mm -hmm. and they're all just in shock um and it's uh...
1: and jenny asks sister julienne to put her to work Mm-hmm. And Sister Julianne says no, no,
0: <laughs> which is like good call, Sister Julian.
1: Yeah. Like and and they says... have this
0: whole discussion about God, and I love what Sister Julian says: is God is not in the in the moment; He is in the response to it.
1: God isn't in the event.
0: In the event, yeah. And so Jenny is surrounded by love and surrounded by people who care and want the best for her, and that is where God is
1: mm-hmm um there's we see uh Al- at Alex's funeral we see tom again mm-hmm. preaching his his fragment of a sermon isn't much yeah it's basically just like wrapping up but we see him there mm-hmm. um and the song that the choir sings is ave verum Cor ave verum corpus Mm-hmm. which is a motet by Mozart written only a few months before Mozart's death. And the text is an old liturgical text that uh, goes, Hail true body born of the Virgin Mary, having truly suffered, sacrificed on the cross for mankind from whose pierced side, water and blood flowed be for us a foretaste in the trial of death. So it's was uh, as a liturgical chant. It was chanted during communion when they raise Mm -hmm. up the bread and then you sing the true body of christ but it's sung here at a funeral and mozart's version is funereal yeah uh it's sung here at a funeral with the like a foretaste of death
2: Mm
0: -hmm. right so the choir is this third moment with uh kitty chubb in which uh Alex's, mother, Alex's parents can't make it to his funeral mm-hmm. because they are in Ceylon and not available to... Can't make it. Yeah. And so Kitty Chubb and all of her mom friends are there to say, well, we're all moms. We can... We'll be his mom in this moment. And that's yeah. another really beautiful thing about this episode is Poplar and its community and coming together and there's this person who's died and we don't know him but he i've heard his mom couldn't be there and so we can come and be his mom now that's uh yeah i'm uh getting a little choked
1: up (laughs) can i say about the choir um sheila through this whole thing is like very blasé. hey yeah (laughs) everyone else is so moved and sheila's just like i get to direct the choir (laughs) yeah I don't know whether it's just, like, the performance is a little off or whether this is supposed to be, like... <laughs> she's just, like, a little callous, actually. She's a little, like, yay, I'm rewriting this. Patrick, will you help me rewrite it? And Patrick's, like, I am wracked with guilt over not saving yeah. the life of this young man. And she's, like, oh, pish posh, come help me rearrange this choral piece. She's
0: trying to distract him. <laughs> she's trying to distract him. But, yeah, it is true that, like... She's like, I need help rearranging this. And Dr. Turner is just like, like, I
1: cannot rewrite choral parts. Yeah, <laughs> And she's like, you can do your best. And he's like, I did my best and the guy
0: died. And she's like,
1: doesn't help me with my choir. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> like, she...
1: <laughs> it's a bit strange.
0: It is. It is a bit strange. She's focusing on her own grief, I think. Yeah. That's maybe the situation. Uh, it's... So let's move back to Leia Moss goes into labor when Jenny's called away and so mm-hmm. Winifred gets to step in and save the day and finish the helping to deliver Leamoss's baby mm-hmm. um a girl which is so nice cuz it's like you know the three generations of women there yeah and also the promise of more life is when you have these people post holocaust these Jewish people post holocaust Every birth is uh, is a blessing and a... Yeah. I'm trying not to say the word replacement because that's not the word. But like they lost so much and so much life was lost that every new life means so much more.
1: And Judaism is matrilineal.
0: Yes, exactly. So... And that's what I'm saying is, like, like, a new life of a girl is even more because it's more Jewish life. Like, practically
1: any child symbolizes a new generation. Yeah. But, like, or practically any child can uh, create new life eventually or be part half of creating a new life. Mm -hmm. But symbolically, a daughter is continuing the Jewish line.
0: Exactly. In a way that a
1: son wouldn't symbolically be. Exactly. Um... Her the daughter. Her name is Elizabeth Malka. Mm-hmm. Malka is Hebrew for queen, mm. or means queen. So her name is basically Queen Elizabeth.
0: That's really cool. I know. I love that because it's like that's the new queen of England, and so they've made a new home and they've named their daughter a like old biblical name, but also oh no, wait—is Elizabeth in the Old Testament? Elizabeth. It would be a Jewish name regardless. Um, And then, but also after the queen. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but that is so cool.
1: Yeah. I think they did it on purpose. Yeah. And I mean, well, like, and then uh, Tziral is willing to leave the house to nag her daughter.
0: (laughs) I know. Okay. Like. We gotta talk about this moment. It's like, she's down on the street, the baby's feet are out, she's not wrapped up properly, and this is what brings a Jewish mom out of her house, is she doesn't have a proper blanket. I mean, it's kind of a stereotype, but it's also completely true, and it's, like, funny and poignant, and she's leaving the house. It's... I love everything about that scene. Everything about that scene.
1: yeah. It is a little, it is a little, like, yeah, Jewish mom's nag stereotype, but it's also just, like, protective moms protect,
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: and she is so protective, and her trauma uh, plays out as protectiveness of herself, but then, and it's also a theme of this whole show, that, like, how do you get past your own trauma on this show? By caring for someone else. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That isn't 100%. That isn't always how you get over your own trauma in real life, but it's always how you get over your trauma on this show.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You care for someone else. Yeah. And that's what she she's like, what's going to bring her out is not Sister Winifred giving her a pep talk about how she's a hero.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's someone needs her.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: So she goes where she's needed. She
0: goes where she's needed. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Although it does bug me slightly that she goes down there and she doesn't cover the baby up. Because, frankly, it's little feet in the cold. It is cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably a beautiful hot day. But <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be one of those grandmas who's like, put some booties on that baby. <laughs> she
1: says, and it connects, too, to the, like, uh, kitties. We're all mums. for doing this for her. That, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also doing this for her daughter and her granddaughter and like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's this, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. The
0: uh, be- I think the best moment of this episode is her, is Mrs. Rubin meeting Jenny on the street and saying goodbye because they're moving to the new flat and comforting her. She and... says
1: she has a thing for goodbyes because she didn't get to say any of her
0: goodbyes. And neither did Jenny.
1: And like, she doesn't, she has to say goodbye to Jenny because she is going to say goodbye now to everyone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and of course, Jenny is distraught, like, because yeah. she didn't get to say goodbye to Alec. And I love the, like, the moment when Leia is like, just give her some peace. And Ms. Rubin says, what peace can she know now?
0: Yeah. There's something about um, when you've suffered a loss, someone else who has also suffered a similar loss is the are the only ones who can bring you comfort because they've yeah. been through it. If, yeah if some if they haven't had a loss, they just can't know,
1: yeah, and this moment of like the the what peace can she know? you just keep living until you're alive again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and we see that with Mrs. Reuben being like twelve years
0: twelve years
1: twelve years of living until she's alive again. This is the twelve years between the exodus and the Torah. Is the 12 years of mm-hmm. living until you're alive. Yeah. Right? And the... That's... Jenny goes off, ends the episode, going off away from Nanata's house. And it's her voiceover.
0: Yeah. Is
1: about living until she's alive again. hmm Uh...
0: The, the sending off of Jenny, I also love where Sister Monica Joan is quoting poetry and being emotional and Sister Evangelina is like, you eat, You, I'm going to be checking up on you. <laughs> and of course, she's also emotional as she's saying it, but she's being the practical, you know, Sister Angelina way and Sister Monica Joan is quoting a poem about she... Jenny kissed me. I'm sure you have it down.
1: She quote the poem. She quotes. She actually reads the whole thing. Mm. Except, I mean, she stops in the middle. Yeah. It's a poem by uh, Lee Hunt. Uh, Jenny kissed me when we met. Jumping from the chair she sat in. Time, you thief who love to get sweets into your list. Put that in. Say I'm weary. Say I'm sad. Say that health and wealth have missed me. Say I'm growing old. But add Jenny kissed me obviously i mean it's not a hugely difficult poem to understand it's about like yeah sorrows and sadnesses will come and this poem is about uh cherishing the joys and loves that have come also
0: Mm -hmm. exactly
1: and it's pretty convenient that her name is jenny exactly (laughs)
0: Exactly. <laughs> Alright, so that's the episode. Did you have a favorite part? Ugh, and I have to I'm gonna go
1: with I'm gonna go light this time. I'd say my favorite part is Cluedo. <laughs> <laughs> there are moments that were heartbreaking and heart wrenching and beautiful, but My favorite part was the part that made me happiest this time, yeah. and it was Sister Monica Joan yelling at a yellow-bellied imperialist (laughs) while playing Pluto. (laughs) That was my favorite. How about you? What was your favorite part?
0: Mine is, uh, get get a blanket on that baby. I'm coming down the stairs to put a blanket on that baby who's cold. I just, like, I love everything about that moment. Yes. All right. Well, that's our take on episode four. That was quite an Uh, episode. That was quite an episode. We'll get into next week. We'll see what happens with no Jenny around. Mm -hmm. Um, If you'd like to talk with us about this episode or any other episode of Call the Midwife, you can contact us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can support our podcast at patreon patreon.com slash clockworks you can send us an email what is our email address paul
1: poplar at clockworksacademy.com or poplar opinion at Academy.com or poplar dash opinion they all they all exist
0: nice <laughs> all of those links are always in our show notes in your podcast player if you like what we do give us some rating give us a review give us a shout out on twitter tell your mm-hmm. friends tell your enemies tell everyone who loves call the midwife to listen to paul and jan blabber on <laughs> thanks thanks for listening i've been jan moffitt
1: i've been paul Moffat.
0: and that's just my popular opinion <laughs>